2: So chances are you've never heard the name Smedley Butler before, but if you have, it's probably in the context of one of the wildest conspiracies ever hatched against an American president. The plan was never executed thanks to Butler, and the political and media class kind of collectively decided not to talk much about it, so it has almost entirely faded from memory. The simple version though, is that leading reactionary politicians and business leaders plotted seriously to overthrow FDR by marching on Washington with thousands of disgruntled veterans led by an unimpeachably principled Marine Corps general. The problem came when the general, Smedley Butler, exposed the plot and turned them all in. That may have been the capstone to Butler's life, but what he did before that was also of enormous consequence for the development of our politics, of our foreign policy, of our presidency, everything. Basically, We are who we are, for better or for worse, thanks to what Smedley Butler did over the course of his fascinating and blood-soaked career. He was involved, one way or another, in American interventions in Cuba, the Philippines, China, Honduras, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, Mexico, Panama, and Haiti. He emerged from that journey the nation's most celebrated pacifist, the man who first exposed the creation of the military-industrial complex. He would know, he said, because he built it, or at least... He was the man at its center who made sure that it did its work. If you think of American imperialism in the late 19th and early 20th century as a virus, today we're living with its endless variants and mutations, which continue to infect governments around the world. Some of the strains have hit multiple countries. In July, U.S.-trained Colombian mercenaries assassinated the Haitian president. And despite, or perhaps because of, evidence that the Haitian prime minister may have been involved, The U.S. is standing behind that prime minister. Some of the same mercenaries involved in that assassination were also brought into Bolivia ahead of its last election with orders to assassinate the protege of Evo Morales, Luis Arce, who was running for president. You can read about that connection over at The Intercept and check out our previous episode on the scheme in Bolivia. Now, they failed, and Arce won in a landslide— And that reporting, by the way, has led the new Bolivian government to charge the former defense minister and request his extradition from Brazil. They played clips of this podcast at their press conference announcing it. Our guest today, Jonathan Katz, is the author of the new book Gangsters of Capitalism, Smedley Butler, The Marines and the Making and Breaking of America's Empire. He previously lived in Haiti and can get us up to speed on the sprawling investigation into the potential role of the US in that assassination, but first, the story of Smedley Butler. Jonathan, welcome to Deconstructed.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. I'm a big fan of of the podcast. Well,
2: I'm I'm a big fan of this new book. Terrific work. Congratulations. I think it's a real I think it's a real achievement.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: So, to tell like Smedley Butler has to be one of the most fascinating American lives ever lived. And to tell his story, I want to let's let's kind of set the scene for the historical period, and you can you can cut in when you feel like you want to. But you know, so you know, coming out of the coming out of the Civil War, obviously we have a period of Reconstruction that lasts for uh, ten to twelve years, gets annihilated by a combination of an economic crisis and and white white terror down in down in the South, which means that the you know eighteen seventies, eighties, nineties are spent in a new national project. It's not going to be the national project that was envisioned in Reconstruction, which is making a, a a a genuine democracy of of all of America's citizens, a multiracial democracy. It's not it's not going to be that. It's going to be Jim Crow and the energy needs to be directed elsewhere. So you have the railroad construction, you have Manifest Destiny, you have the ongoing genocide of the American Indian population and the, the expansion out west. And then you talk about how this, you know, this this project, which, which morphs into a global imperial project, you know, starts to bring the North and South together, mm-hmm. becomes something that forges the United States back into one and also allows kind of the men of the United States to start feeling manly again, because these are the people born after the Civil War, and so they don't have the kind of heroic experiences that they're fathers and grandfathers had to talk about, this is also, you know, as modernity is coming into being, people are living more comfortable lives. Women are demanding actual rights, political rights, economic rights, and all of this is causing men to feel rather uh, insecure about themselves. And one way to feel more secure, and one way to continue this great expansionary project is to find new places to expand to. And around this time, Smedley Butler is, what, 16 years old? Yeah, that's right. When he's this, so he's the son of a member of Congress and doesn't want to be a boy who's just the son of a member of Congress. And so, like, boys for centuries, you know, he, he thinks he can forge his manhood in, in battle. Mm-hmm. And so he finagles his way into the Marines, very quickly uh, gets sent off to Guantanamo, and from there leads leads a life at the, you know, front end of the spear of American imperialism for the next several decades. And the things he participates in are resonating to this day. Fascinating to me that he first winds up in Guantanamo. Right. Um, speaking, speaking of refracting through to today, how, how is it that this this young kid winds up in Guantanamo
1: that's a great question um, and, and and to add uh, one other bit of of complexity to Smedley Butler's personal story. so you know as you know, he's the son of a congressman. he's also a Quaker. Um, he comes from a prominent uh, Quaker family, really two prominent Quaker families on both his mother's and his father's side, the Butler's and the Darlingtons um, on Philadelphia's mainline. And you know, he essentially gets caught up in, uh, a war fervor. I mean as you you did a really good job there of of laying out all the things that that lead up to this moment. Um the specific uh catalyst at that moment we're in 1898 now um is that there's been a you know a growing war caucus uh you know calling for American involvement in Cuba. Um it's you know it com- it's composed of both uh, Cuban exiles, uh, you know, Cubans have been a Spanish colony at that point for over three centuries, and they've been fighting for their independence for, you know, nigh on 30 years. Um, and they've been, some of them, not all, but some of them have been trying to, you know, encourage uh, Americans, you know, to send the U.S. military. But, you know, and, and there are Americans who, who who want to do that, you know, most notably um, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who at the beginning of this is, um Speaking of finagling, he's uh, the New York City Police Commissioner. He finagles a job as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, and then basically, you know, almost—I mean, really—to t- the to the extent that one person can start a war. I mean, he he came pretty close to doing it himself. He he um, uh, you know he's he's uh, agitating from within William McKinley's administration to go to war in Cuba. Um, and you know he 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 writes a you know a, an important memo that says if we get this war declared against Spain uh, to liberate Cuba, let's also go for the Philippines at the same time. And so Smedley Butler is a sixteen-year-old. He's a high school student at uh, what's now called the Haverford School. It was back then it was called the Haverford College Grammar School. Uh,
2: I've I've been to the Haverford School. It's a ridiculously ornate kind of. Old school European feeling. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a rich. I just, I stumbled into it once, but it was just mind-blowingly, kind of ridiculously privileged looking. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's like it's anybody who's ever spent time in Philly, like the main line. It's the main line. It was. It's. 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 It's the rich. You know, it's the extremely posh, um, and and old school wasp part of town, and uh, and and you know, Butler's a high school student, and this war fervor is starting, um, you know. There's a lot of, of uh, uh you know resonances here, especially with, with the buildup to the war in Iraq, um, because you know you're dealing with a you know real tyrant uh in in, in, in the Spanish Empire, much like you know Saddam Hussein was legitimately a, a awful human being and an awful tyrant. Um and you know the Spanish are uh you know inventing a process that they call reconcentracion, uh, which gets translated in into English as concentration camps. Um, They are, you know, starving and killing civilians. And it's in that moment that the McKinley administration and Teddy Roosevelt send uh, a warship to Havana, the USS Maine, to basically, you know, oversee U.S. business interests in the middle of this spiraling civil war. And the Maine explodes, Nobody even today knows exactly why the main exploded it seems like it was you know most likely an accident you know just sort of a, a result of of poor design of the ship and the McKinley administration actually contrary to popular belief does not outright blame the spanish but they also don't say anything as uh, you know the tabloid press, the the, the famous yellow press of of uh, you know William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, run these just completely irresponsible articles, you know, based on horrible sour- sourcing. That you know, oh, we you know we have a guy in Havana and he overheard a conversation and the Spanish were saying, yeah, we did it, and it's this combination of things that gets Butler uh to want to go and and join this war um there's you know there's a, a huge mobilization for the reasons that you're saying i mean you know people were were feeling left out their fathers and in, in butler's case his grandfathers um had uh despite the fact that they were quakers by the way <laughs> um had had fought uh for the union and the civil war that was because that was you know something of a special case because
2: quakers like, were leading abolitionists exactly yeah.
1: exactly and the quaker meeting tries to stop smedley from going but his mother intervenes on his behalf. And Butler lies about his age, uh, you know, claims to be 18, but he's, he's 16, uh, and joins the Marine Corps. And the reason he ends up at Guantanamo is because, um, so, you know, the Marine Corps up to that point had been, you know, essentially a, a rump service of the Navy. I mean, they, for for most of their life, as as a service branch in the 19th century, they were just kind of glorified ship guards, um, who you know occasionally, like you know, if, if something needed to be done on you know, Tripoli or or Japan or something, um, and you needed guys with guns to get off the boat and like you know guard the docks or or, or raid the mm-hmm. warehouse or whatever, you sent the Marines. But this is America's first overseas war, and so while the Army uh, which has been you know, spending the previous decades, you know, c- committing genocide and and land theft against uh, the native peoples on North America. while they're getting their act together to to get on these converted boats and and go to Cuba, the Marines are the only force that's available that knows how to, you know, get a bunch of guys together, give them guns, put them on a boat, and then get them off the boat on the other side. And the Marines land initially at this harbor on Cuba's east coast, uh, Guantanamo Bay, and they come ashore and they seize it for the United States. And so that's why that is where uh, America's involvement in the Spanish-American War begins. It's where America's overseas empire begins, and it's where Smedley Butler's career
2: begins. And you can imagine a a 16-year-old boy who's reading this journalism because he, you know, we now know, you know, and probably if, if you were educated enough at the time, you could probably see through some of the propaganda. But a 16-year-old reading those papers you know, really thinks that the, the dastardly uh, Spanish are blowing up the ship. And also the Spanish are dastardly in a lot of ways in, in what they are doing on that island. And he, and he has kind of a historical analogy that isn't too far in his past, and that would be you know the French helping out the Americans in the American Revolution. That's right, and so he. I could. I could imagine a sixteen-year-old thinking, "Well, I'm going to be like Lafayette,
1: yeah,
2: and I'm going to go over and I'm going to help the uh, the Cuban revolutionaries, you know, overthrow the imperialist Spanish, yeah, and, and of
1: course, like you know, the idea that the the Cuban revolutionary fighters are called mambises, and you know, a lot of them have been fighting for you know thirty years. The idea that like this, <laughs> that like the mambises, like that, what they were waiting for. Was
2: it was Smedley yeah, Butler,
1: a sixteen-year-old from the Haverford School, <laughs> from the Mainline? Exactly. Yes, but you know that's that's America. But so it.
2: then Smedley shows up, and I, I thought it was interesting how you note that a, a bunch of the Marines sympathize much more with the white-looking Spaniards and are shocked to find out that the revolutionaries they're helping out are black. Mm-hmm. They're and they're like, wait a minute, I this and it doesn't fit with their idea of you know, uh, of what they're over there to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, so after he's basically started this war, he then goes to fight in the war. Um, and, he, he you know, he forms a volunteer unit called the Rough Riders, which are named, it's 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 a, a name from popular culture. It came from uh, Buffalo Bill's uh, Wild West show, Wild West show and Rough Riders of the World. And uh, they can't bring their horses, so they're actually not even riding. But um, they... You know, after the the you know the famous battle of San Juan Hill, which is is where uh, Roosevelt's fame is really made on a national yeah. level, um, uh, Roosevelt starts you know telling these stories about like cowardice on the part of the black soldiers who were fighting alongside him because there there were you know uh, uh, the Buffalo soldiers were, were were in the battle with him, and and he's just making things up and lying and 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 just defaming them, and also by the way the Cubans are. <laughs> <laughs> there, you know, a, a lot of them are black um, or mixed race, and you know, all of the Marines specifically, the Marines are all white. I mean, there aren't there aren't uh, non-white Marines until 1942, until the, the 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 Second World War, and a lot of the Marines, and this actually starts coming in uh, e- e- to an even greater extent um, as as Butler's career advances, come from the South, from from specifically the Jim Crow South. They weren't they weren't sure what to do with it. And that then ends up informing what the U.S. government does next, which is as soon as the war is won against Spain, uh, we betray the the Cubans. uh, We also betray the Filipinos. um, And in the case of the Philippines, we just colonize them outright, which is a campaign in which Butler was personally involved. Um, And in the case of Cuba, because of essentially a compromise uh, in the declaration of war between uh, the racist expansionists and the super racist isolationists who you know at that point had no use for Cuba because slavery was outlawed in the United States and uh, didn't want you know the the non-white and Spanish speaking and Catholic Cubans to become uh, part of their country um, as part of a compromise uh, a, a clause gets written into the declaration of war that basically says that the United States won't annex Cuba as a colony but we kind of do it in a de facto way and and the the thing that we do take outright and have never given back is the place where the Marines landed where Butler began his career at Guantanamo.
2: And you, you had talked about how when Fidel Castro finally took over, you know, he said he was, you know, finishing the job of the Mombises mm-hmm. and wasn't going to, you know, fall for the same tricks. Exactly. That had happened last time. so, so then like you said, so then he goes from there over to uh, the Philippines. And his Philippines adventure bookends his Chinese invasion. So let's let's do China first.
1: Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, so China in um, in the same year, basically in 1898, uh, a, a uh, an uprising starts. It's a it's a popular uprising among people who practice and and believe in a kind of folk magic version of martial arts, and uh, they they are attacking primarily Chinese Christians. Uh, but also um, uh, Christian missionaries and to a, a lesser extent, sort of the imperial powers who are starting to gobble up China, um, who have been gobbling up China for for decades at that point. And China is still a monarchy and, and the Qing empire um, sees this, this group of rebels and thinks, well, we could use these people and we'll, we'll ally with them to maybe, you know, get rid of, of these, this foreign encroachment. The foreigners, uh, see the these martial artists and not recognizing, you know, what what kung fu is. Um, they call them boxers because that's what it looks like they're doing. They're boxing. Right. Um, and so this this becomes known as as the boxer rebellion. And a bunch of other things happen. But essentially, uh, uh, in 1900, um, this eight nation alliance uh, that includes, you know, Great Britain, Russia, France, Italy, Austro Hungary, etc and the United States and Japan by the way comes and uh, and and stages a, a full-scale invasion and Butler uh, at the age of 18 and then he turns 19 while he's doing it fights his way in from from the coast uh, to Beijing
2: and this is a side note but you found a local historian there who said that the there's evidence that the British used chlorine gas yeah which would be banned in Europe but also you know, significantly before World War One.
1: Yeah, I was, I was, uh, you know, I, I speak. So, so you know, I traveled all over the world for this book, and and I speak a lot of the languages of the places I go: Spanish, Haitian Creole. I do not speak anything approaching Chinese, um, but I, I, uh, uh, just in terms of how the sausage is made, I, I, I found that um, because. Uh, I had some documents, I OCR'd them, and then I used Google Translate. Um, and then I then went to, you know, some, some scholars of China who speak Chinese and, and know this period to confirm with them that I, what I was reading was correct. Um, and and one of them uh, pointed out, uh, he was like, oh, this, you know, he there was a poem uh, uh, or a, a kind of a, it was a poem written around that same time, which my finding then, uh, uh, uh confirmed you know one of the readings of this poem which was that you know that that this gas had been deployed um in a village outside of what's not tianjin or, or a village that was then outside of what of tianjin it's now actually basically part of tianjin cuz that's how cities go in china and yeah and and uh it it seems pretty it seems pretty uh, like a pretty strong case could be made uh, that you know uh, 14 years before chemical weapons are first deployed on the battlefield in, in World War One, that uh, that the Europeans were deploying them in China, and and it actually the connections there are notable because even the first time that that chemical weapons are deployed in the First World War, it's against colonized troops. Um, so you know that, that that that's a theme that runs mm-hmm. throughout. Like Europeans are always thinking, oh well you know we have these we have these horrible weapons let's 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 use them against against people who we don't see as being fully human
2: yeah and the description in the poem makes it implausible that yeah, there's exactly. really any other explanation like it's impossible to imagine somebody kind of so perfectly fabricating uh, the 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 like consequences of something that nobody else would have seen anywhere else exactly exactly so he set, takes part in a, the sacking of beijing mm mm-hmm. As an eighteen-year-old, yep. gets shot in the chest, uh, a button.
1: First, he gets shot in the leg, thanks to Herbert Hoover. Right, he'd
2: already because been Herbert shot. Herbert Hoover
1: in the led leg. his Herbert Hoover, who's there as a, a young engineer with his wife Lou, um, leads leads Smedley and and his his uh, Marines into battle in the wrong spot at the Battle of Tianjin, um and gets a bunch of them killed.
2: Right, that was that was an incredible story. People, a lot of people might not know Herbert Hoover's background, but he, he, right. He was this coal magnate. Uh, and he was also this like yeah. international master of logistics, like one of the first people known. And, and he did some great things with that. He, mm-hmm. he bailed out the uh, early Bolsheviks from mass starvation through kind of a relief package that he oversaw. I think as secretary of commerce, he was really heralded for some of the way, some of the ways that he responded to like the giant flood yeah, in it, 1921 it. or something like that. He's just really an impressive guy up until he was faced with something that didn't match with his ideology. But as a 25-year-old, he volunteers to take Butler's crew. He says, look, I I know my way around Beijing. I can get you guys there. Don't worry. The master uh, of logistics. Yeah. Oh, Tianjin. Yes. The the master of logistics really blew it. Like just yeah, exactly. took took them to a cemetery, exactly. right?
1: Yeah, and the and the and the, the, the Chinese and, troops are, are up on the city walls, and they're just and they're just sitting ducks, uh, in this in this marshy field. And Butler, Butler, Butler says, uh, you know, that he had he had fantasized about getting shot in battle, but he didn't think it would hurt as much as it as it ended up doing.
2: And so then he wakes up on his what nineteenth or eighteenth or nineteenth birthday inside nineteenth, yeah, the walls of Beijing, yeah, after having been yes shot and surviving again uh he's then the American delegate you know to go into mm-hmm. the imperial palace after the empress had had fled while marines and the rest of the eight powers are just absolutely just massacring yes, and looting everyone in sight exactly and steal and stealing everything that isn't nailed down exactly. and lots of things that were nailed down, including i found this interesting. An amount of silver that was then melted down into a bowl that that the ninth still uses at its celebrations yep. today.
1: Yeah, the Lisken bowl. Loot. Yeah, the, and and they call themselves the Manchu Ninth because because of of, of their time in China. That's that, and, and it's still today. If you if you meet anybody from uh, the Ninth Infantry, they'll they'll tell you there, or or if at least you, you say Manchu to them, they'll they'll know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Right. And so it's around this time, he starts to get an inkling. I I mean, he doesn't synthesize it yet, but he's starting to realize that there's a little bit more to what he's being sent to do than, than just freedom fighting. Yeah. Uh, and Herbert Hoover's situation here actually is, is instructive. Like why is there a 25 year old, you know, coal mining engineer who is so invested? in the Marines, you know, sacking this city in the first place. Um, and so wh- when do you think he's first – because he's going to be an imperial crusader for another – Yeah. For a long – we've got a ways to go. But wh- when do you think it starts to fully dawn on him? When does he start connecting the dots about what as he's As far as I can
1: doing? tell, it really starts happening in, in Nicaragua. So he – in uh, 1909, um, you know, politics in Nicaragua uh, – So – Long story short, Butler and the Marines help seize the land for the Panama Canal. They they help uh, uh, affect the secession of of the state of Panama from uh, the Republic of Colombia.
2: And by and by now, he's not just leading units; he's He's, leading
1: exactly. Yeah, he's he's got an entire battalion. It's called the Panama Battalion because it's 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 based in in the Panama Canal Zone. And one of the places that the place that the canal did not get built was in Nicaragua people still talk about building a canal in Nicaragua today the they're 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 you know purported projects between the, the Chinese government and, mm-hmm. and and Nicaraguan government you know that that are constantly starting and, and stopping and the president of of uh, Nicaragua uh you know is mad at the Americans for not having you know, built the canal on in his country. He he starts retaliating against American business interests, including, by the way, Herbert Hoover's also got mines in in uh, in Nicaragua. A lot, of, right? I, Smedley Butler is kind of the you know he's the zealot. He's like the Forrest Gump of of uh, you know early 20th century American imperialism. But he's not the only one. Like you know Herbert Hoover, a lot of these other guys like kind of show up in, in, in place after place. Um, small world. It's a very small world. And, um, it's a small club, and you're not in it. Um, yeah, uh, and Butler is in charge of this battalion uh, that that keeps going to Nicaragua to intervene um, basically on behalf of u s business interests and against they're called liberals, but like they're they're you know the 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 Nicaraguan uh, revolutionaries who want to protect Nicaraguan sovereignty. And one of the things that happens during this time, is the annexation of the Philippines which has essentially been completed by this point was so costly and so embarrassing on a political level because you know word of of these you know atrocities some of them committed by marines in in the Philippines has just you know embarrassed presidential administrations um, at this point, William Howard Taft, who's another guy who's everywhere he he was also he was Governor general of the philippines when when the Americans uh, uh, annexed it. um he's president now, and he comes up with this idea called dollar diplomacy, where basically instead of uh you know taking over a country militarily outright um and and you know raising the American flag, you allow them to nominally keep their sovereignty, but you take over their financial system, Uh, you you, you take over their central bank. And in the case of Nicaragua, there are two banks in particular, Brown Brothers, which is now Brown Brothers Harriman, maybe notable to to some uh, of your listeners because their headquarters is across the street from Zuccotti Park, where Occupy Wall Street happened, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, J&W, Seligman and Company. Those American banks come in and get a charter and start the National Bank of Nicaragua, which is chartered in Connecticut. And they start a new currency, the the Nicaraguan Cordoba, which is backed essentially by the US dollar. And they have the Marines as kind of their, their shock troops, Putting down insurrections, you know, making sure that that their guy uh, becomes president, a guy named Adolfo Diaz, who's actually the accountant for for one of the uh, American mining companies, um, not uh, not Herbert Hoover's mining company, but another one based in Pittsburgh, and uh, and 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 then making sure that any time uh, rebels, uh, you know, uh, members of the Nicaraguan Liberal Party um, try to 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 rise up and unseat him. Uh, that that he's that he's protected by by sort of a per- per- Praetorian guard that includes Smedley Butler and Butler at this moment, um, you know he's been doing this for you know about two two ish decades, and uh, he's he's achieved the level of major so he's now you know a flag officer and he can sort of dictate his own movements. Um, he can decide where to go. He can decide who to talk to. And in doing that, he starts to realize like, wait a second, like, you know, we're not here protecting democracy. We're not here, you know, protecting, uh, you know, the, the, the interests of, of the great American Republic writ large. Um, we're here, you know, because Brown brothers has got a little money is, is one of of the things he says in in a letter to his parents.
2: Did the, did the fake election have something to do with it? Because he's tat, he's tasked with making sure. That Brown Brothers man wins the election, and he he what he, does, what he does he schedules the election for to last like an hour and only <laughs> tells like yeah. six people. Yeah, they go out, they go out some, basically, find that, and and and
1: and, and, shovel, and and funnel them through the polls and then and then close the polls immediately after. And and uh, and like the
2: fakest election you could you could ever imagine. So and so let, let's pause quickly in the chronology to talk about the why of this. And so now we're getting into the early. 1900s, you know the country's effectively settled. at At this point, uh, you had you know in the 1890s this just absolutely punishing economic depression, and you had extraordinary labor unrest. You know more violence between you know workers and bosses than in Europe and or, you know almost anywhere around the world, probably. Just all of it being put down by you know the national guard, you know the state coming in and. Crushing the crushing the labor movement, in order to keep people happy, you know, you talk about the way that the Philippine adventure was certainly expensive in terms of dollars spent by the government, but the resources that were extracted from the Philippines, the resources coming you know coming in from Nicaragua, coming in from China, start to fuel the consumer economy here in the early part of the twentieth century. That then kind of becomes the outlet. Uh, for a lot of the unrest and alienation that's coming from the, you know, the, the the transition that the United States is going through from this kind of yeoman frontier type of society into one that's being funneled into offices and into factories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, does that sound right to you? Yeah,
1: I mean, and so the Philippines, um, it's it's really it's poetic that they, they are the exact length of of. The West Coast of of the continental United States, um, you know, and 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 as you note, all of this is happening. Um, so you know, in eighteen uh, ninety two, uh, the director of the U.S. Census, uh, famously to anybody who's you know been through a high school American history course, um, you know, declares that the frontier is at that point you know for all intents is closed. Um, and a historian, a young historian named uh, Frederick Jackson Turner. At the University of Wisconsin, he ends up at at Harvard teaching future presidents, including Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, and he, you know, he comes up with with his frontier thesis, as it's called, uh, where he basically says that um, the, uh, you know, th- that that the American character, like American greatness, was was created through uh, this outlet of the frontier, and that the closing of the frontier portends doom. For, precisely for for some of the reasons that you're saying, like he's he's you know one of one of uh, one of Turner's ideas is that the reason why America is a classless society, which of course it isn't, right? But this is something that this is something that people tell themselves, and something that people still tell themselves.
2: Right. To the extent it's less more classless than say Europe.
1: Exactly. I mean we don't yeah, I mean it's it's not there 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 is not at that time. Yeah. Well, I mean the the one thing that you can say is that is that Americans do not even today have yeah. as finely tuned a sense of of class status and class identity as like say Britons do. Right? right. And and Turner's argument is that the reason for this was because there was this outlet of what he calls free land. Now, let's yeah, you know, he completely brushes aside the fact that this land is not free this land has people living on it who have to be right. killed or moved aside or whatever but um but you know that this sort of then you know that it's this sort of space where 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 people can go and become men and sort of you know in these you know alchemical uh, encounters with the the savage you know vastest, <laughs> the savage wilderness mm-hmm. um sort of you know become like a you know a, a, a truer and and freer version of themselves or whatever and and this is very influential for a lot of people and uh the other guy the other intellectual architect behind this push is a guy named Alfred Thayer Mahan who is um a he's a naval theorist um who is the most important military theorist really of 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 the you know, the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, and his his big theory is that navies are more important than armies, and he envisions this great American naval empire, where basically, you know, our you know ships with guns will lead the way and open markets and defend sea lanes to create this huge American commercial empire across the seas, and these two ideas, uh, in in concert with each other. They kind of th- these become the intellectual framework for for what happens. So you know, the Philippines is you know while well, we've run out of space to to manifest destiny in North America, let's just go manifest destiny, destiny it you know, due west uh, across the Pacific at the at the doorstep of china. Uh, and you know it's it's arable land. there is there are you know resources. there's this thing called manila hemp. Uh, which you know nobody remembers today. Although you know, if you've seen a rope or go to a gym where you climb a rope, it's probably made of of Manila hemp. It's where the term Manila envelope comes from because the, the, it's made of the same uh, substance. But essentially, like you know, this stuff runs the 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 economy at that time. You know, it's it, you use it to make the the belts that run through electric generators. You use it to to make the rigging on on ships, and you know, China then as now represents sort of the great. Limitless market where where you can just go and, and and make all the money you want. The Caribbean and Central America represent places that you know you can extract resources, including bananas, you know, produce that you can sell. Uh, you can you can basically you know buy for a song and 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 sell cheap uh, t- to great profit in in America. And all of these places are then you know hungrily looked at by the banks as places where they can expand. American banking, and they can expand financing, and they can finance all these projects. And the the thing is that in in each of these cases, just as with you know the expansion uh, in, into you know across the Appalachians and and into the American West, you run into this problem that there are already people there who have their own ideas of how they want to live their lives and 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 who should be calling the shots for them, and that's where you need somebody like medley Butler it's when you it's where you need the marines um, to come in and use force uh, to to uh, kill enough of them and intimidate the rest of them so that you know all of these all of these other uh, big dreamers and and greedy capitalists can get their way
2: right and it's not so the, it's not like these are just some unfortunate injustices that are being kind of waged by some thoughtless and and cruel policymakers they're the things that are floating the system yeah they're keeping it going and so he's starting to recognize this but you know he's he's a marine he's enlisted and he's going to follow orders he winds up in Haiti mm-hmm. not long after how long after Nicaragua? Not terribly. So
1: his last uh, his last uh, stint in Nicaragua is 1912. Uh, in between that and Haiti, he uh, we invade Mexico at the behest of the oil companies.
2: Oh, that's right, and he sneaks into he sneaks into exactly. Mexico at the
1: behest, by the way, of of uh, William F. Buckley Sr., who's the lawyer for the for the oil companies mm-hmm. in, in Mexico, and he he calls the Wilson administration and says invade please and they do um and then yeah in uh, in in 1915 uh we uh we and smedley butler invade haiti
0: many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: And so what he does in Haiti reverberates today. And in, in some ways he is celebrated by how how would i put this the the liberal kind of imperialists say that smedley butler and Haiti showed the softer way yeah of carrying out this type of a of a project uh it's more it's nation building it's hearts and minds it's it's counterinsurgency that a it. the kind that Petraeus would point 100%. to 100% and say that right you need to win people over rather than just gunning everybody down but as butler himself says in, what in a letter to his parents I think it's not going to happen without a little bit of shooting exactly and his definition of little <laughs> uh at this point is well, is relative because yes. he's been he's been shooting now for a decade and yeah. a half
1: yeah
2: there, there are so many wild moments of his time in in Haiti um but what what did you take away from it
1: yeah um so it's it's uh it's it's like you say I mean you know from from the Haitian perspective you know, he, he goes down in, in Haitian history uh, as they literally call him the devil. You know, he, he, he goes down in Haitian history as, as being the, the most mechant, as they say in, in Haitian Creole, the, the, most, the most evil of, of the Marines. You know, he and, and you, you, you uh, hit the word uh, uh, counterinsurgency. I mean, essentially what Butler is doing in Haiti um, is inventing counterinsurgency, and actually uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Butler's adjutants in Haiti, um, some of whom go back to Nicaragua uh, to fight against the original Sandinistas, um, whose leader Augusto Sandino is, you know, radicalized by uh, uh, an encounter with with Butler's handiwork. Um, he sees the, the slain body of of the, the Nicaraguan uh, rebel leader who's been killed in in battle with Butler's Marines, and 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 declares, you know, lifelong revenge against against uh, Wall Street and, and and the Yankee soldiers uh, who who uh, who follow his
2: right. dictates. And Sandinistas are in power today.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, but it's it's in Haiti and Nicaragua, especially that that Butler and Butler's adjutants, uh, their field notes become the basis for uh, the Small Wars Manual. That's first of all still read, you know, f- as a book itself uh, by by uh, Marines and soldiers today. And it also becomes ultimately the basis of of the Army uh, Marine Corps Counterinsurgency Manual that that Petraeus and Company wrote. Um, and you know the thing that Butler it's it's uh it's 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 an interesting detail in, in the book and'm I'm, I'm glad you 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 caught it. you know Butler is Butler is operating from within the perspective of the Marine Corps in a more, you know, I would say like liberal way than some of his superiors. I mean he's he's got this um senior officer, his mentor, a guy named Littleton Waller, um, who is just you know just a seething. Racist, uh, from you know, from an old aristocratic Virginia,
2: burnt the Philippines to exactly, the ground. Exactly, kind of exactly,
1: guy. yeah, literally. I mean, he's ordered to to kill and burn and the and the Philippines, and that's what he does. Uh, and is court-martialed for it and and acquitted. And in in Haiti, you know, he sort of wants to do the same thing. I mean, Haiti, you know, represents uh, black freedom, black excellence, black self liberation. And to you know, people who like Littleton Waller, who who grew up. Destroying uh, Reconstruction and and you know laying the groundwork for and then implementing Jim Crow, um, it's it's an intolerable example and they and and they're you know chomping at the bit to to show you know to to teach the Haitians a, a lesson in, in white supremacy, and Butler because he is you know a Quaker from Philadelphia, he has a much more subtle and you know I would say more modern uh, you know more recognizable today. Um, form of of racism, um, where he doesn't necessarily think of himself as racist, although he throws around the N word a lot. Um, but he, you know, he, he he certainly, you know, he like Teddy Roosevelt, um, to use a, a prior example, you know Roosevelt, who's also just a white supremacist. I mean, you can't read, uh, you know, the winning of the West or, or, or the other things, or, 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 or uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's, you know, ranting in, you know, Tucker Carlson style about uh, race suicide and essentially, you know, white genocide that like all these immigrants are coming in and, 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 uh, uh, overtaking the, the true the true Americans, which which are you know the Anglo and of course the Dutch, because the Roosevelt family came from from the Netherlands originally, you know. But nonetheless, like Roosevelt and Butler, like have this sort of more genteel northern style of racism, where you know they think that ra- that lynching is bad. It's very uncivilized. They, they think that slavery was bad and that you know, it, was, it was good that, that you know, the Civil War was fought to, to end it. Um, but they still, they still look at you know, people in, in, in places like Haiti or, or you know, Black people in the United States as being somehow less than themselves. And because Butler is sort of in that nuance, that is kind of what enables him to essentially invent counterinsurgency because he's able to look at Haitians' A little bit more as individuals. He's able to sort of understand a little bit more the nuances of local politics. He's able to, you know, he bothers to pay enough attention to the Haitians that he realizes that they don't speak French. They speak their own language, you know, Haitian Creole, and that none of his men speak it and that they should learn it. The low it.
2: bar a low bar. a so lo, lo, low bar. A bar that you can, Learn,
1: you can marine crawl over. <laughs> but it's, not
2: learning the language, but learning that they speak a different language than you thought. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. Well, it's 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 a way to I mean, you know, and and you know, it, it's it's it, it, you need that in order to do counterinsurgency. And we see it today. I mean, in you know, in in the forever wars in in you know, Afghanistan and in, in in Iraq and in, in Libya, etc. Um, you know, we sort of you, you see modern day echoes of that where, you know, people are, you know, willing to, you know, work with the locals and they're willing to, you know, and, and they're willing to deal with the locals. And, and they, they think that, you know, with time and with training, perhaps, you know, the Afghan people could learn some form of democracy. Perhaps they won't be as, as naturally innate as that, as, as, as Oscar, I'm being sarcastic. I don't know if that comes right. Me. But, um, uh, but you know, but and that's kind of what Butler is doing. And Butler says these things. I mean, he he says these things to his father, as a congressman. He's like, you know, you know, you know, in time and with 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 a white man to show them the way. Like maybe these maybe these Haitians can make something of themselves. Um, but as you note. Uh, there's no such thing as a bloodless counterinsurgency. So one of the reasons why Butler is is uh, still known today in in the, in the circles in which he is known is in the Marine Corps um, because he uh, was one of two Marines that that received two medals of honor, um, and the second medal of honor that he receives is for a massacre in in uh, Haiti at a place called Fort Rivier, um, which is deep in the mountains in northern Haiti. I actually went there um, in, in in researching this book. And um, uh, kills a lot of people, and and basically crushes this initial uh, resistance, uh, which then rises again, and then gets crushed brutally again um, by, Butler, in, including by Butler's uh, ultimate creation, uh, the Gendarmerie d'IT, which uh, is is the model of of sort of a local client military that gets used in the Dominican Republic, in Nicaragua, and then ultimately in Iraq and Afghanistan.
2: Right, and Butler at this in this fort, he kind of. He, he's the third person. He sneaks in uh, through something of a sewage tunnel. Yeah. It seems like, and then, and kind of pops into the middle of these, these fighters. And it, it appears at that point that the American we American weapons really, really carry the yeah. day that they have, that the Haitians have these rifles that are, don't, don't fire well, don't fire well at close range, don't fire quickly. And it, it very quickly becomes like rocks and sticks against guns. Yeah. The Americans bring against machine guns. guns.
1: Yeah. They bring, they bring, they, they, they bring machine guns up. uh, Some, you know, the larger ones are, are pulled up by, by mules. Um actually, Butler, this I don't even think this fact made it in the book, so i'll just I'll just throw it out here in the podcast. Butler actually uh, had a patent. he 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 patented sort of this intermediate technology um where he had he designed sort of a more stable way for a mule to to bring him to, to tow a machine gun. Um, this is, you know something very quickly replaced once once mechanized transport uh, becomes a thing, you know, just just a couple years later. Um but yeah.
2: You're right, a patent that combines a mule and a machine gun is exactly. going to be obsolete probably fairly quickly.
1: Exactly. It was the Blackberry of, of, uh, of, of 19, right. 1950.
2: Yes. And so, uh, so what is the, uh, the fallout of in, in Haiti of, of that particular occupation?
1: Uh, so, you know, in Haiti, um, uh, I mean, we're still fe- feeling the fallout today. Um, that occupation lasts for 19 years which was a record technically speaking the the occupation of Nicaragua had a the, the start date and the end date are farther apart but there was a little bit of time off in between so um the the occupation of Haiti is the was the longest continuous US military occupation until that record was broken in Afghanistan just before the withdrawal and Haitians are it's i mean it's it is a That's a complicated story, which we could do an entire podcast about. You could do a podcast series about it, because unlike in other places where Butler was, you know, in Nicaragua, the head of the constabulary force that, you know, Butler helps create, the Guardia Nacional um, is a guy named uh, um, Anastasio Somoza, who becomes you know the, the dictator of Nicaragua, and he and his sons reign as dictators uh, until the Sandinista Revolution in, in 1979. Um, in the Dominican Republic, the head of the Guardia Nacional uh, is a guy who's also trained by the Which Marines. Butler? Where Butler also? Where Butler also was? Yes. Which is you no. Know. He was everywhere. Um, Rafael Trujillo, um, who
2: right, so he's propping up all the baddies.
1: Exactly. But in Haiti, Haiti's a little—you know—Haiti's always got to be a little more complicated. <laughs> uh, in Haiti, uh, there, there, it, so the the the, the Gendarmerie uh becomes, you know, a, a sort of a, a new ha- Haitian army called the Guard, and and uh, there is a head of the Guard, uh, Paul Na- Paul Maguire, who seizes power um, in a coup, but he doesn't remain for very long. And so the ultimate big bad dictator of Haiti, um, and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm making a joke here, because like he was awful. Francois Duvalier and his son Jean Claude uh, Papa Doc and Baby Doc, um, they actually uh, they're a little bit more complicated because they they use the centralization that the the American occupation created. To, to to establish their own system of control they also use the memory of uh, the opposition to the American occupation um, as as an ideological basis they, they even though they are absolutely you know ideologically they are fascists, they are hundred percent, you know, from the right, there's nothing, there's nothing mm. socialist or redistributive or 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 class politics or anything about them. Um, but they, but they, they often refer to themselves as being uh, a revolution. Uh, you know, Francois Duvalier says, you know, uh, I, I and the revolution are are, are one. Um, uh, he, you know, they they use this memory of. Um, you know, because one of the things that, you know, the more racist Marines like Littleton Waller, who were there with Smedley Butler do, is they introduce a kind of Jim Crow politics into Haiti, where they elevate, using essentially colorism, they elevate a, a light-skinned, more Francophone and ultimately Anglophone, uh, tiny elite. You know, they, they, they see them as, as being the future rulers of the country, and uh, the Duval, uh, Francois Duvalier in particular... Uh, he comes up with this idea called uh, he and, and some other uh, uh, Haitian intellectuals. I mean, he wasn't an intellectual uh, called Noirisme, which is basically like you know black power against this light skinned elite. And he says, you know, we're going to we're going to replace the light skinned elite that the Americans created with with a, a dark skinned elite of us and our friends, and ma- and ultimately some light skinned people too, as long as they're they're loyal to the regime. And so they end up ruling Haiti until 1986 and we can sort of spool it out from there but it's yeah. yeah and
2: it and it does make sense that you'd have a relationship between kind of national humiliation and and fascism and you, you obviously see that yep. in Germany you know to the extent that Trump's right-wing populism um ha, you know has undertones of it it's it rooted in a similar kind of sense of humiliation you know the world is laughing at
1: absolutely. us absolutely
2: absolutely yeah. and and so you could see how a revolutionary movement could use that humiliation as its ideological spring,
1: and also in China, where, where Butler and and the Marines uh, intervene. A century twice. of humiliation, exactly.
2: They right, still,
1: they still talk about it to this day. And I was I was there reporting this book for for a month, and 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 it was everywhere.
2: And so let's come let's come back to Haiti, mm-hmm, sure. uh, because there's a lot to talk about with the recent assassination of the president. But before we get to that, uh, let's 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 wrap up butler who then uh you know who becomes this kind of not just pacifist uh tell me well is pacifist too he much he says at
1: one point he says i'm a pacifist hell yes i'm a pacifist but i always have a club behind my back
2: <laughs> right so but more interesting than that he he publishes a book which becomes a phenom because he's a he's a he's a huge celebrity mm-hmm. uh at this point he had he had come back he had Philadelphia's police chief, yes. you know, cracking heads in prohibition, bringing, bringing you know, nothing we export is going to stay abroad. Right. Everything's, everything comes home. So whatever we're putting out there now, you know, be ready for it to come back. So it comes back to Philadelphia. He, um, he, I mean, actually let's, 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 let's linger on that for sure. one moment. Can you can you also see the roots of the militarized policing that we have today, both in his development of counterinsurgency and then his transporting of it into into Philadelphia to fight the the mob and prohibition? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He, I mean, so you know, um, the idea of using uh, uh, you know the military uh, military methods as a way of reforming urban police. Uh, in the U.S., uh, it, it, it was gaining currency at that time. That wasn't his idea initially, but but and that's why he's brought in is because there's this there's this cry for for reform in, in the Philadelphia Police. And he's
2: still in the Marines, right? He takes a leave like of just absence. Takes a, takes a leave, Exactly. Yeah. right? Doesn't he's not retired. No, he,
1: he, he, he petitions. Uh, I guess it's Harding for a leave, and and and, uh, and then Coolidge. Actually, I can't remember it at this second. Uh, maybe, maybe cause is president at this moment. But anyway, um, yes, he, he, um, he takes a leave of absence from the Marines to, to to go to Philadelphia, and the idea is that he's going to clean up the police force. He's going to clean up the city. Um, you know, there's rampant corruption in Philadelphia. It's run by a political machine, which was known as the Republican organization at the time, and uh, and prohibition is happening. So there's a lot of gangsterism. There are these you know these these you know big uh, uh, gangsters guys like uh, you know Mickey Duff and and Max Boo Boo Hoff, um, and the Lanzetti brothers. And uh, and and Butler is basically like we're gonna do in Philadelphia what we did in Haiti, what we did in, what we did in Nicaragua. And he uses this, he uses similar tactics, he uses similar language. He 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 you know he he draws uh, parallels directly, um, you know, and says you know we need machine guns, we need we need uh, we need you know uh, uh, you know to 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 you know turn the, the back seat around in the police vehicle so we can get a gunman in the back so they can shoot people you know from behind. Them. <laughs> And actually, when I when I was writing this book, I thought I wanted to be telling a story of Butler's life, but a larger story of of you know ultimately the the the, the rise and fall of, of the American Empire. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna make this a a biography of Butler. And one of the ways in which I told myself that it wasn't going to be a biography of Butler, I was like, well, I'm not going to deal with like his you know Department of Public Safety days in Philadelphia, running the Philadelphia Police Department. Um, and then, while I'm writing the book, the George Floyd uprising happens, and I'm looking around. Then I'm like, "Oh God, <laughs> I guess." Yeah. I guess I actually have to to, yeah.
2: to do this. And yeah, and right, because we we and that's actually a metaphor for the way that we would like to pretend that we can keep all of this elsewhere. Yep. Exactly. But we can't.
1: Exactly. And 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 ultimately, I don't know if I'm 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 jumping ahead here, but. You know the reason why Butler is known especially to people on the left today as a hero is because he takes this big anti-war anti-fascist turn in the last decade of his life uh, you know he writes a, a, a book called war is a racket um, where he basically you know does sort of this you know imperfect but but uh, uh, attention getting uh, and and write you know essentially you know in the larger scheme of things uh, take on what becomes known as the military-industrial complex,
2: and tell all of what he did in Nicaragua and who he did it for, exactly. what corporations were benefiting. And- yeah,
1: he writes a, he writes a series of articles for a socialist magazine called Common Sense, and in in the second, like they're all sort of you know taking himself to task. Um, the most famous one is, is the second one that he writes, and and he he writes this uh, famous confession, as I call it. I you know I quote it fully in in, in my book, um, you know where he he says. I helped make Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914, I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National Citibank boys to collect revenues in. That's Citibank, which still exists, by the way. I uh, I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American Republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1909 to 12. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for American fruit companies in 1903. He's referring to Standard and ultimately United Fruit there, now Chiquita Brands International and and the Dull Fruit Company. Uh, in China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil, now ExxonMobil, went its way unmolested. During those years, I had, as the boys in the back room would say, a swell racket. I was re- rewarded with honors, medals, promotion. Looking back on it, I feel I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was operate in three city districts. We Marines operated on three continents
2: and so then he fuck, becomes fuck this yes,
1: smedley butler
2: <laughs> right right so you can see why somebody who comes across that paragraph is ready to elevate and celebrate smedley butler and and he was then you know extremely useful in shining a light on what he had done because he had a completely unimpeachable position to speak from having been the one that you know carried all of this out
1: and, blo- and blows the whistle on on a on a uh uh, what he alleges is a fascist coup to, to uh, overthrow Franklin Delano Roosevelt and stop the New Deal in, in 1934. And the reason why they, the, the reason why those plotters, however many of them there were, pick him is because he has the track record that you know he talks about in that confession, um, but they didn't anticipate the the degree to which uh, he wasn't willing to do that at home, and and the degree to which his own politics had had shifted.
2: When did the, when did he publish the confession?
1: Uh, 19, that's, so that's in, in from an article in 1935 in Common Sense.
2: Oh, so that's after they came mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. Okay, so that that is what I had been confused about in the past about Butler because I hadn't put the timeline together because I remember thinking this guy has made clear his his position here. What are you, why are you trying to recruit him into a fascist coup? He, like he's he's become a pretty outspoken anti-fascist, but it sounds like it was, he hadn't, he hadn't quite been as public yet. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I have
1: seen things on, I've seen online people, you know, quoting Butler as having said that in 1933. I have not found any primary source documents in which, where I can find that.
2: And it would make sense that that's not correct because, or, or if it was, it was, one comment to one newspaper that that wasn't picked up and we could do an entire episode on the 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 fascist coup that was that butler says was organized and that there is like there is very there's very strong evidence that people with a lot of power and money strangely if you you only think in partisan terms two of the men involved allegedly were the last two democratic Nominees for president, yep. John Davis and Al Smith, yep. who are now extraordinarily embittered at the turn that the Democratic Party has taken, you know, toward toward Roosevelt, yeah. and and the allegation is that they, in allegiance with these corporate interests that Butler has been doing the bidding of for for decades now, come to him say they want him to ad- address the, uh, the American Legion, yeah. Uh, stand up for the gold standard, yes. which the which Wall Street is utterly panicked about because they think that you know, that Roosevelt is going to start busting deficits and start spending money on people, right. and that that's gonna hurt hurt their bottom line. And that they want him to lead a contingent of veterans into Washington and basically become Roosevelt's something like chief of staff. At which point Roosevelt would sign a paper saying that he's a figurehead, a king, a constitutional monarch who doesn't have any authority, and and Butler will restore the gold standard and 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 run the country. It's
1: not it's um, not actually clear if if they wanted Butler to to do that or if they just wanted Butler to handle the military end of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's some indication that maybe uh, they were thinking about Hugh S. Johnson, um, who. Uh, if you know you 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 need New Deal nerds out there will know as as the head of the uh, National Recovery right. Administration, he was sort of looked at as being sort of the the right wing. Uh, he was looked at as sort of the adult in the room by 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 right wingers at the time that he was he was sort of this army general, um, you know, who who would who would who would uh, keep the 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 Bolshevik instincts of, of Rexford Tugwell and and uh, and and the Roosevelt Brain Trust in
2: check. And there does seem to be some evidence that he was at least, that he was leaning in that direction or that he was open to it or that. um, He certainly
1: liked Mussolini. He was a big, I mean, Johnson was Mm -hmm. a big Mussolini fan and, and he, and uh, I mean, you know, uh, people on the right today, I think, you know, Dinesh D'Souza in one of his stupid books, um, you know, tries to use Johnson's like very real admiration for Mussolini and his sort of, you know, he, 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 you know, circulates you know these pamphlets written by you know Gentile about you know the Stato Corporativo uh, as sort of like you know let's let's try to do this with with the NRA. D- D'Souza isn't smart enough to figure out that like he, that that he wasn't a liberal <laughs> like he was he was he was he was the conservative in in the room you know in the New Deal who was who was trying to bring in this Mussolini uh, influence you know because you know it it it, it had a, an intellectual genealogy to it because Mussolini. Came out of socialism himself, but then rejects it and sort of comes up with this, you know, pro-capitalist—not capitalist, but but anti-anti, you know, proletarian, anti-class politics—a uh, uh, vision of of busting heads, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, f- among other many other reasons why it was a bad idea to get Smedley Butler involved in this thing, is Butler had had uh, ended his marine career, getting court-martialed for insulting Benito Mussolini in 1931. So right. Um, yeah.
2: The, and standing by it. Exactly. Right. And so there are congressional hearings about this. Yes. Butler presents a ton of evidence. Other witnesses come forward that back up Butler. Uh, the people that he accused of being involved in this come to the committee and, and deny deny everything and de- and deny things that then are demonstrably proven to have happened. And the media writes it up as... That it it was cleared it didn't happen right that you know the, but then if you read to the end of the articles, like on page a seventeen or whatever, right. then all the evidence is unspooled, yeah. you're like, oh wait, actually, this does appear like it may have happened what, when you had finished your research on this where where did you come down on how real this this plotting was I
1: think that uh the guy who who tried to recruit butler uh Gerald C. McGuire, um, I think he thought he was the front man for a fascist coup. He said it to enough people. You know, Butler enlists the help of a newspaper reporter, Paul Comley French, uh, who's a reporter for the Philadelphia Record and the New York Post. Uh, you know, he says that McGuire said that to him. Maguire comes before this committee. It's it's two man subcommittee of of it's actually the, the Special House Committee on Un-American Activities. It, it's, it's, right. It's the predecessor of HUAC. And uh, it's it's uh, John W. McCormack who becomes Speaker of the House, and D- Samuel Dickstein, who by the way then becomes uh, at least there's significant evidence that after this he becomes briefly a Soviet agent of the NKVD. Um, <laughs> but speaking of just like how crazy this <laughs> this history is, but um, but but McGuire you know comes before them and and he kind of perjures himself and contradicts himself, but but even throughout this sort of contradictory. Uh, You know, sort of uh, uh, self, you know, self. I've already said contradictory (laughs) testimony. Um, uh, Enough, enough comes out where he's he is he is uh, you know saying, yes, I met with Butler. Yes, we talked about these things. Um, And and essentially, you know, we talked. I talked with Butler at all the places that he said we did about the things that he said we talked about. But it's not my fault. Essentially, is kind of what he's saying. Right. And um, the other piece of it. You know, is that is that Maguire's boss, um, a guy named Grayson M.P. Murphy, had enough of a background in military intelligence and enough, you know, ties to the future OSS and, and future CIA um, that that I that you know it, it it would be hard to imagine that that it had never occurred to that guy at any point to try to overthrow, you know, F.D.R. Beyond that, it's really hard to say. And, and, and the, the, you know, the main reason why it's really hard to say is because McCormick, the McCormick dixon committee doesn't, you know, they don't do a full investigation. They don't, they don't bring in the big names, you know, the big shots um, right. as, as Butler calls them to testify, you know, they don't bring in the DuPonts. They don't bring in, uh, you know, Alfred P. Sloan of, of General Motors, um, et cetera. And, uh, and and they don't they don't really they don't do a, a full investigation. So you know, in, initially Butler's Butler's uh, testimony. I mean, it runs on the front page of the New York Times. Um, uh, the Times, you know, gives equal space to uh, the the denials of of the accused, um, and and then writes you know an unsigned editorial mocking Butler. Um, Time Magazine uh, writes this satirical piece um, called "Plot Without Plotters." Uh, where they sort of imagine Butler, uh, they they imagine Butler, you know, leading a mob up uh, up Pennsylvania Avenue, um, you know, with with uh, with with uh, Thomas Lamont and and uh, 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 Jack Morgan, J.P. Morgan's son, uh, you know, they they were the heads of, of J.P. Morgan and Company at the time, you know, sort of uh, bringing up the rear, because um, who could imagine a mob right. moving up Pennsylvania Avenue, violently trying to you know do something to influence the American governments.
2: Beggars believe couldn't happen. Couldn't happen. Speaking violent overthrows, yeah. <laughs> um, back to Haiti. Right, right. Uh, so last last July, I might get these dates slightly off, but last July fifth, the, the president at the time, Jovenel Moise, mm-hmm. uh, appoints Ariel Henry to be uh, prime minister. Apparently, uh, uh, at the urging of, or he's he's an ally of the former president, um, Little Mickey. Sweet Mickey, right? Sweet Mickey, yeah, Michelle Monaghan, exactly. You, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here because you've you spent years living in Haiti. You've been back and forth, so you you know you can keep these characters um, have, straight have, better I than spent, I can. I've
1: I've known I've known uh, uh, Sweet Mickey since uh, since before we had the same haircut. That's a, that's a joke well, you, that won't because so, right. I'm on the radio and, and also I don't want to say that I'm a friend of his at all. I just I'm just saying. No, no, you, I, That would not. Him, right. I've known him for for since since before I lost my hair is the joke here, and he's bald anyway. That's
2: all. So July 5th, yeah. he is named prime minister. July 7th, I think it was. Uh, a group of Colombian mercenaries led by uh, Haitians um, storm yeah. into the president's presidential residence yeah. and slaughter him. Yes. And Ariel Henri, not, not exactly in line. He hasn't even been sworn in yet, but uh, begins to jockey to assume power. Yep. Uh, the United States backs Henri's claim to the throne, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, in September, the, a prosecutor who was tasked with looking into this says that uh, Henri had made uh, at least two phone calls. We now know three uh with uh, joseph badio who had been organized who, who was accused of one being the lead or a lead organizer of the assassination one call right before the killing two calls after the killing uh henry responds by uh, ordering the guy's boss to fire him yeah. The guy's boss refuses so he fires both of them and shuts down the investigation united states stands by Henri, puts out a statement saying that there are that he's, he's their guy. Daniel Foote, the, who's the U.S. envoy to Haiti, resigns in protest mm-hmm. and cites this in his letter. He also resigns over shipping plane loads of Haitians back into this conflict-riven society. And the, and, the,
1: and the photos of uh, U.S. border guards, you know, right. whipping. whipping or, or whatever, whatever they said they were doing. Whatever
2: they were yeah. doing with the-
1: Throwing their brain. reins toward the Haitians. Right. Immigrants trying to reach the United States. Yes, exactly.
2: Right. And so, so foot, foot resigns, uh, the, uh, Henri, uh, remains in power. Uh, I recently reported that the, you, you may know her, the former ambassador, us ambassador to Haiti, Pamela white,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, had said back in, back in March at a, at a congressional hearing, a way to, way to deal with Haiti, put aside employees and find, uh, a respectable, Prime Minister, that you can put in. She called it the Prime Minister option. Uh, And then he needs to then dissolve the election council and create a new one that the US has faith in. And then we need to call a summit of Haitian leaders and Western allies and name a new leader. That summit. So he did in late September dissolve that uh, election council. Mm -hmm. They did call this summit. This summit just ended a day or two ago where. I guess they're sort of saying they're appointing a president in New Orleans. I guess there's some is the Creole connection is supposed to make that legitimate <laughs> somehow.
1: I mean, there are academic conferences. <laughs> they call New Orleans part of a, the the circum Caribbean. So sure, why not?
2: Oh, there there you go. So we we the night that the police had put together a report, it it started circulating on WhatsApp and in, in Haiti, and we uh, we obtained a copy of it and. Haitian investigators, you know, have have tons of people involved in this, saying that they met with people who said they were FBI agents, said they were State Department people. Um, lots of people involved in this are saying that uh, they were they only got involved. The fina- the financier of it um, said that he only funded it because he was told that the United States you know, was supportive of it. One way I think to read that would be to say that the United States has a couple different ways of carrying out coups. And as, as you've talked about here, there's the, there's the, you burn things to the ground, like in the Philippines, you do some dollar diplomacy, you do some counterinsurgency, or you set up situations in which, you know, local elites take matters into their own hands and the United States winks and nods and allows it mm-hmm. to go on. That, this feels like the latter version of it, but you know, Haiti a lot better. What's your, what's your read on what happened and what's going to happen next. Yeah.
1: Um, And, and, you know, putting back in the context of, of the book really fast, like, I mean, that's something that I really tried to, to bring out um, in, in gangsters um, is, you know, how much of this is, is more complicated than just, you know, the Americans coming into a place and, and imposing their will. I mean, we are, we're using local dynamics and, you know, partnering with local elites and looking at local fissures, you know, in, in the same way that, that Butler did, you know, at, at, a, at, at a hyper-local level, you know, with counterinsurgency, you know, figuring out how to, to you know, navigate the divisions between, you know, the Kako insurgents and, and the villagers who weren't sure where they stood. Um, you know, we also do that at, at a macro level. And, and part of the reason why uh, I, I was able to come into this project writ large with that perspective is because I've, I've seen that happen so much in Haiti. Um, I mean, you know, the United States, it, 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 you know, it, it, it always shocks people. um, And then they often quickly forget, um, you know, how much Imperial control the United States has from, you know, behind the scenes in Haiti, you know, it, it may seem like it's just sort of, natural law that you have like this, you know, big, powerful, wealthy country, you know, up here and 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 this smaller country, you know, uh, two hour flight from Miami. And that that's how the relationship would be. But there's nothing there was nothing natural about that. Like that 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 was that was you know the the product of years of individual decisions and a lot of violence dating back to to the first uh, U.S. occupation of Haiti from, from 1915 to 1934. Um, and so, yeah, so Henri, you know, he becomes prime minister essentially via press release. I mean, the core group, uh, which is, uh, you know, sort of a consortium of, you know, the the, the most powerful uh, ambassadors and, uh, I guess, like representatives of the OAS and, and the UN, um, they just, you know, sort of issued a press release. And they were like, okay, he's the prime minister. Now, Like that's not a way to how would you like i can't even imagine how you know even even the 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 prospect that you know that, that the russian government may have you know uh, spread propaganda uh, or or tried to do some hacking on behalf of one candidate in the united states you know set off i think rightly like you know a, a freak out mm-hmm.
2: we can be annoyed exactly. by that i mean
1: it's two wrongs don't make a right but but you know we we just we we just we just do that times a thousand um, in Haiti, and so yeah, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of Haitian groups. There was this huge uh, group called, you know, known as, as the Montana Group because they met at, at a hotel in in Port-au-Prince called the Hotel Montana, uh, which was destroying the earthquake and then and then partially rebuilt. And you know, they, you know, they, they, they this this broad consensus of groups from all over Haitian society came together. Um, you know, to to lay out a, a path forward, um, you know, for creating a new electoral commission and holding new elections when when the country is ready for them um, and and sort of, you know, trying to, you know, create space for something approaching a, a democratic will to be uh, lived out in Haiti. Um, and, you know, the U.S. government, the Biden administration has just flat out ign- ignored them. It's it's the same imperial imperious attitude toward Haiti uh that followed the last time a haitian president was was assassinated uh with with the the, the killing of uh, vilbron guillaume sam in in 1915 and it, and it all comes you know and it it is it's about um you know it's about especially you know in that first uh occupation you can you can you know very clearly lay out you know the through lines of the reasons for you know, Citibank getting involved. And there were these outstanding loans that Haiti had taken out to pay back this, you know, intolerable indemnity that the French had had levied against them after the Haitian Revolution. Um, and they were worried that their loans weren't going to get paid back. And so they, you know, send the Marines ashore to, to stage a bank heist basically on behalf of, of Citibank and and other Wall Street banks. That's what sort of occasions the assassination of of Zelbrongil Sam, and then and then that uh, assassination happens. By the time you get to the the 21st century, when I you know I was living in Haiti, uh, 2007 to to 2011, um, and now you know in in the aftermath of, of the assassination of uh, Jovenel Moise, like you know to a certain extent, it's it's almost muscle memory. I mean, it's there's no real there's no real point.
2: What what about the what about the resources, the mining, like what what is. What wealth is on Haiti that might attract U.S. interest?
1: The only, you know, the only U.S. economic interest that I've ever really been able to discern in my, you know, whatever it's been now—twelve? No, I moved there fifteen years. My God, fifteen years! <laughs> my 15, 15 years of covering Haiti um, is is sort of is cheap labor. Um, you know, under uh, uh, Jean Claude Duvalier, uh, baby doc. In in especially in the 1980s, um, uh, there was this period where, uh, you know, these cheap garment assembly factories, uh, you know, were, were making things, you know, uh, for instance, you know, there was a time when every baseball used in the U.S. major leagues was sewn in Haiti, um, you know, mm-hmm. Disney toys and Sesame Street toys and t- Cabbage Patch Kids dolls and, you know, all these things. And you know when the Clintons got involved in Haiti uh, after the earthquake uh, in in 2010, uh, they they were already they had already started to be involved. They had already started to get you know very involved again in 2009 before the earthquake hit. Um, that was sort of their angle. They they wanted to see Haiti kind of you know go back to its sweatshop model of cheap labor for you know US corporations to to give us a, a, a place that's closer than China to to outsource in terms of like material um wealth i mean there is gold um you know there's there, there's gold mined in the Dominican Republic i know that because i've 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 been to the mines but it seems like a big headache <laughs> to try to get it out of the ground in Haiti and and i've i've never really seen anyone you know who knows mining make the persuasive argument that there's this enormous wealth right. of gold that is worth the cost of of extraction and also the cost of of doing business in in a country as unstable as as Haiti is. Um, you know, there's rumors of oil. Maybe I don't well, know. We
2: we do it because it's what we do because what's what Smedley Butler taught us how to do.
1: That's honestly my on. That's honestly my honest answer. It really is. It's just that. This is what we do. I mean, it's it is our, you know, in in um, you know, right now in, in Ukraine, right, with with uh uh with with Russia, um, and I'm this is I'm not a Russian apologist. I'm not trying to say that like invading Ukraine is is good. It's not. But but uh, you know, Tony Blinken, you know, has has, you know, he's he's made these arguments that like, oh, you know, well, Russia thinks that Ukraine is in its sphere of influence, but you know, spheres of influence are barbaric. We don't we don't do things like that <laughs> Bullshit. Like, we, <laughs> Haiti is in our sphere of influence. That's 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 really why. It's 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 you know it is because it's because we can, and it's because you know Haiti is looked at in in global politics as being the responsibility of the United States in this very paternalistic, you know, Eurocentric, you know, white supremacist or you know whatever way.
2: Well, right. And the more cynical view in Haiti, uh, that has been pitched to me is that Moise's trip to Turkey was the last straw. Oh, that's interesting. That his that his face turned toward Turkey, which is allied with you know, they're they're not our best friends nowadays. And and they're better friends with Russia and China. And that him getting on a plane and actually going to Turkey and make taking that meeting was considered a, a a breach. That's interesting. Of trust, it busts the severe. It busts our severe of influence. You know, or- Moise,
1: Mo I, this. Is, I don't want to get so far afield, but like Moes is a fascinating character because like the dude came out of nowhere. I mean, he was just supposed to sort of be a placeholder. He was supposed to be kind of the medvedev of, of, of for Mar, you know, to Martelli's Putin, right? Like that, that he would, right. that, that he would just sort of come in and keep the seat warm until, until Martelli came back into power. Um, and then instead he, he kind of does the dictatorial turn himself, except there's not, there's, there was no, there was no powerful central government left to be dictator of. Um, you know, he was, he was, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, the Haitian government you know, for years has, has, has kind of existed in, in name only, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's honestly as, as best I can tell. And, you know, who knows maybe at some point the, the the great gushing oil well will be found and, and, and all, all will be revealed. But like, you know, like the, the whole Clinton cash thing, you know, I was, I, I went, I went down all those rabbit holes. I, I, I climbed up the hills. I went to, to look at, you know, I, I looked into the PVC pipe in the hill where you know Tony Rodham, you know supposedly had his big gold mine, and and I've just never seen any of it. It's is it, 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 it all you know. I think I think in as there is an, a a U.S. interest, I mean Joe Biden said it himself when he was a senator. Um, that that you know he, he made this horrible statement during uh, the Haitian migrant crisis in in the early '90s. Uh, that whatever it was, Haiti could rise up, you know. I forget the number. It was like Haiti could go rise up three miles or or sink under the ocean, and it wouldn't make a difference in terms of the U.S. national interest. Mm-hmm. And I think that that it's horrible. It's and it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a fuck. Can I say it's a fucked up way? It's, it's a screw. No, you
2: can. This is a fuck, No FEC rules here. Okay,
1: it's a fucked up way of looking at the world. But um, but ultimately, it's true. It's it's not. It, 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 and and it was. And again, I mean, this goes back to Butler. You know, by the time. By the time the U.S. invades Haiti uh, in in 1915, you know Haiti has has you know has been been beaten down enough even by that point that it has ceased to be an important place in and of itself. It's there aren't there aren't even material resources that the United States particularly wants there. We want it for its sea lane. You know, we want it because we don't want the Germans to come in and 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 you know get a beachhead, uh, you know, across the the windward passage from Guantanamo Bay. Um, you know, Citibank wants to protect its investment. People are looking at ways of sort of making money on the side, but ultimately, this is we're we're an empire, and when when you're an empire, you don't need that big a reason. <laughs> to to right. invade and occupy and blow up another country
2: and it shows the way it's on autopilot in the sense that even with biden as president who had who had said he doesn't care if haiti sinks into the yeah. sea the u.s still at, at a very minimum we can say is standing behind the de facto prime minister who is credibly accused of being involved in the assassination of of I'm, the president and yeah, protecting him we can we can also uh we can also guess at more u uh, s. involvement there, but even without that, we know he we know that the Biden administration is doing that, and we also know the Biden administration or Biden himself doesn't care about Haiti yeah. at all yet it's still yeah. doing it. so that because
1: right. why not? because it because it's like because it's 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 a flick of the wrist. i mean the, the 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 epigraph of of my book um is a Haitian proverb. I saw that by by byermar like the one who the one who deals the blow. Uh, that was my translation. Deals, but but the the one who deals the blow um, uh, forgets. The one who carries the scar remembers. And that's 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 that is still the way. Um, it is it, you know. It, I I read your story. Uh, I guess it was yesterday, right? About uh, our our chicanery with with the Central Bank of Afghanistan. That was that that's something straight out of the occupation of of Haiti and and of Nicaragua. Um, you know, it's uh, the, the, the other, the, you know, the mm-hmm. other, uh, cliche is that, you know, when, when, uh, when, when, when the empire sneezes, you know, the world catches a cold, it's like with a flick of the wrist, we just, we flatten a country and, and it means nothing to us. We're not doing, we're not doing it because we hate these people. We don't even know they exist. We don't care. We, as long as, as long as, as long as we have our, as long as our shopping carts are full and, and our paychecks come in on time. And and ultimately, as long as like you know the 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 biggest uh, you know and and the, as long as Jeff Bezos and, and Elon Musk's uh, you know uh, uh, investments come through, they, we we don't care what happens to anybody else. That's what it means to be an empire, and 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 to be on the on the opposite side of that is what it means to be colonized. And 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 as we were talking about, these things have a way of of coming home. Um, and, you know, but, but the empire still stands and, and, and these things are, are still, the gangsters of capitalism are are still out there in 2020.
2: And, and that, then your and the Haitian proverb explains why Smedley Butler is widely known in, in Haiti, uh, but completely unknown here, though. I hope that changes a little bit and people enjoyed, uh, learning about his story. Uh, and I wanted to thank you for, for sharing it and for the, for the book. Thank you that was Jonathan Katz and that's our show Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept our producer is Zach Young Laura Flynn is our supervising producer the show was mixed by Brian Pugh our podcast fellow is True Quinn our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw Betsy Reed is The Intercept's Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com slash give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you soon.